Hi, y'all. If you would, uh, open your Bibles to 1 Peter. I'm going to be in chapter 1, uh, see, starting in verse 13, and we're going to go to verse 25. Um, while you're turning there, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, thank you guys for the opportunity to preach, especially, you know, Josh isn't here, but I'm glad that he's giving me this. Uh, I mean this tonight, this text, as, a, as an encouragement, um, as an encouragement to all of you, uh, as a church, and even as a family. So uh, if you're there, I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 13 of chapter 1. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sakes of you. And through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth, uh, to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. All right, let's pray for a minute. Father, I thank you right now for this time that we have to open your word, this time that we have to um, read this comforting and uh, also convicting passage. God, I pray that uh, this passage will drive us to be holy. It will drive us to uh, turn from our sin, to look to Jesus, and to love one another. So, God, please uh, allow me to be clear and allow us to receive your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I have um, four points tonight. Uh, those four, I'm going to say them all right now. The first one is going to be set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Uh, at the revelation of Jesus. The second is do not be conformed to your old ways. And also in that same point, be holy. Three, conduct yourselves with fear if you call on God as your father. And the fourth one is love one another. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, verse 13 says, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Uh, first of all, like, why is, what is this therefore, you know, therefore? Uh, so this beginning passage here of 1 Peter, the part that I didn't read of the chapter, uh, it's telling us that we were born again to a living hope. We have been born again to something much better than what we have previously had. Uh, it's telling us here that we have been born into salvation, and that salvation allows us to operate, to act, and to do things that we were never able to do beforehand. So that's what that therefore is there for. It says, now prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Uh, as we read this passage about holiness and as we read this passage that uh, is largely telling us as a church and as believers to be holy, the first step in that holiness is to set your mind on Christ, is to set your hope fully on the gospel that we have already received. And so I ask all of us and I ask myself as I read this, where's my hope? And where's your hope? And how do we know where it is? You know, I think it's easy to find where those hopes are. It's easy for us to identify that if we just look at, like, well, what are we doing? What are our thoughts? What are our actions? Are we thinking about the things of God? Are we thinking about how we can honor God? Are we re- in his word? Are we praying? Or are our, is our hope or our thoughts and actions uh, primarily primarily focused on other things? Are we focused on our job? Are we focused on like, how we're going to raise our children or our grandchildren? Or is our focus, is our hope set on something other than Christ? And I think it's easy for a lot of us. For me, even as a seminary student, it's easy for me to make my focus getting an A in Greek or getting an A in Hebrew and Honestly, that is something, when I do that, and I find myself having to fight that often, but when I do that, I'm not setting my hope on Christ. And when I do that, according to this passage, I'm not being holy. I can't be holy if I don't set my hope on Christ, because if my hope isn't there, I'll only find uh, emptiness. I'll, I'll find vain attempts at joy, or vain attempts at a feeling of success, but at the end, I, I feel tired and and, and it doesn't last because there's no hope there. So first and foremost, set your hope on Christ. And then it continues. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so he tells us, you know, set your hope on Christ. That's the beginning. That's the place you have to start because if you start anywhere else, if you put your hope anywhere else and you, from there, you try to obey what's next or from there, you try to fight sin or you try to turn away from what you are, you, you can't. So first, we, we set our hope on Christ and then at that point, as obedient children, we begin to put away and we can begin to continue to not conform to the way we used to be. Do you remember the way you were before you were a Christian? For those of you who, for those of you who believe, think about that. You know, I, I had to think about this as I was reading it, as it tells me, do not be conformed to the passions of my former ignorance. Am I still allowing that one sin to creep in? Am I still allowing that hidden pride to rise up in my heart? Or, or am I acting as an obedient child? Am I being holy? Am I, am I obeying the word of God that is laid out here in front of me? I think it's interesting here in uh, verse 16, it says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It gives us that, that phrase, you shall be holy for I am holy, is from Leviticus 11 verse 44. Okay, so the whole chapter of Leviticus 11, you read that and it begins with Moses and Aaron giving the people 
of God, Israel, it gives them this list of, hey, you can't eat this, don't touch this, stay away from this, because all of these things will be the things that make you unclean. And so it's really interesting to me that at the end of that passage, in verse 44 there, we read God telling his people, now you should be holy for I am holy. God is telling his people, set yourself apart from all of these things as as a reflection of how I am, how I am set apart from all of you, how I am holy. And now, here in 1 Peter, it tells us, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So do not act in those sinful ways you once were. You have been called out of that. But as he who called you is holy, be holy. And so we have a God who is holy. And we have a God who, just like he told Israel in Leviticus 11, to set themselves away from all of these things that they couldn't eat, they couldn't touch, they couldn't be near. God is telling us the same thing now. Set yourself away from all of that sin. You can no longer do that. You can no longer identify yourself as holy. You can no longer identify yourself as Christian if you are doing these things. Be killing those sins. So are you doing that? So are we doing that? That's something that I find it's really easy for me to say up here, be killing your sins and quit conforming to it. But, but, but are we? Are, are we going to another brother or sister in Christ and saying, hey, this is a sin that keeps plaguing me and I need some help. Are, are you fighting with all your strength to be holy? Are you, are you going and praying that God will take away this sin? Are you doing all of these things that, to fight your sin. You know, as even now, only 23, I, uh, even when I was younger than this, I was so confused at this. See, I thought that once I became a Christian, I thought that once I became uh, a Christian, I, it was done, you know? Like, I, Christ saved me, and I believe that Christ will do everything from justification through sanctification to my glorification. Jesus does it. But I had this misconception that I could just take a back seat, that I could just stop, that I could say, all right, Christ saves me, I'm done. You know, I'm going to quit sinning this way. Uh, but here, you know, Peter's urging us, and he's telling us actively, like, don't be conformed to that. And it tells you, be holy. And so, are we doing everything we can through the grace of Christ, looking to Jesus as our, not, not only our motivation, but also our means. Are we being holy? And I'll continue reading. And then it says in verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, I don't know if any of you just heard this or have read this and have ever been confused, but the first time I read this, I was. I was confused because it said, if you call on him as father, which if, if you're calling yourself a Christian, we do call on God as our father, right? We do. And so it says, if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, then conduct yourselves with fear. Uh, I, I had to stop here for a minute, and I, I was so confused. 
Why on earth should I be afraid of my father? Why on earth am I afraid? And does that even make sense to me? Well, in Psalm 130, I'm going to turn there real quick and read this psalm. Psalm 130 teaches us that forgiveness leads to, fe- to a fear of sorts. And let me read this, not like a not the type of, type of fear that makes you want to run away and hide, but it, it, it leads to a fear of God. And so I'm going to read Psalm 130. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than the watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and in him is plentiful redemption. Did you guys catch that? In verse 4, it says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And I think. I think that this is the same idea that Peter is getting at. It tells you to conduct yourselves now with fear. And so we call on him as father. Why? Because we have been forgiven of our sins. As Christians, we have been forgiven of these things because we have set our hope on Christ. And that is what he has asked us to do. And we do and we believe and we trust that. And so now we call on God as father. And we have this reverent fear about us. But that is not, I think, the only reason uh, that why we should be afraid. And because I say that's not the only reason why, because Peter goes on now for the next couple of verses to say, to give more emphasis about why we should have this fear. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He says that this fear is there because the price that was paid was precious. We were ransomed. We had this cost that there was a cost as we know as those of you who trust in Christ you know there was this big cost paid for you and that was a ransom for you in that what was the cost what was the price paid it was the precious blood of Jesus he's like a lamb without blemish or spot and so why are we to be afraid we're supposed to be afraid because we were bought with a price okay and we need to live up to that price. You, were no long, you weren't just bought to live in sin. We weren't just bought to remain the way we were. And, you should, and we should be fearful of a God who has allowed us to live in a good relationship with him. But I, I, as I think about that, it still sounds funny, you know, to say that we should be afraid. But, you know, what should we be afraid of specifically? What we should be afraid of is living a life that does not represent, that does not show that you are putting your hope in Christ. Because if you are living a life any other way, if you are living a life that shows and proves that your hope is in your job, it's in the raising of your children, it's in like your bank account, or it's in any other earthly thing. If you are living a life that shows that, then you should be afraid. Because there's no hope there. Do you see that? There's no hope in living a life outside of Christ. Because we can go and we can put our hope in, you know, 
our job. We can put our hope in our family. We can put our hope in even the fact that we say, oh, I'm a good person. We can put our hope in that. But at the end of the day, what's going to be paid for, all those things that you're putting your hope in, those weren't big enough of a price. That wasn't enough price paid to cover the debt that we have to God. Why? Because God is he is perfect. He is a big, huge, enormously large God that I cannot fully comprehend. But what he has given me, what he has shown is that he said, Tyson, what I demand is perfection. And I have told you here in Leviticus, and I'm telling you now, be holy. Tyson, be perfect. Church, be holy because I am holy. And now when we look at ourselves, are we saying, man, am I, am I holy? Am I actually like that? Do I live up do I live up to the Ten Commandments that he gave us in Exodus? Do I love my neighbor the way I should? Do I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? Do I do these the way that Jesus told me to? Because if you don't, then all of a sudden we're not meeting the expectations and the demands of a good and perfect God. And so if we don't have that, if we're not meeting those expectations, well then, what hope is there for us on our own? There isn't, right? Right? And so that's what he is telling us here. He's reminding us as a church, he's reminding us that your hope is in Christ because you can't do it on. You can't achieve all that God has demanded of us. And if you're putting your hope anywhere except for the fact that Christ has already fulfilled, fulfilled all that he has asked of us, if you're putting your hope anywhere else, that price isn't enough. It isn't enough. And so it is important that this ransom that this cost it, it is important that it was huge because it satisfies it satisfies God's demand for us and so what are you to be afraid of be afraid if you find yourself living a life that that put your hope anywhere else that cost isn't enough to pay the debt that we owe God the cost of you know, the hope in, of my own self-righteousness, putting my hope in all my seminary education isn't enough to pay the price of sin. Only Jesus is. And so I'm going to keep going on here. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Who through him you are believers of God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable. So, again, from verse 20 all the way there to 23, what is Peter doing? What is happening here in the writings? He is emphasizing even more the price that Christ paid for us. Because Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Christ has always been here. Before we were here, before our earth was here, before the ground we stand on was here, Christ was. He's emphasizing the fact of the price that was paid. He's showing us that Jesus was God. He says that he was foreknown before us. He, he's emphasizing Jesus' Godhood here, letting us know that that price that was paid was not just another man dying. It was not just a person who paid, but rather it was God himself who paid the price for us. And it says, and through him, 
It's even through him that you were made believers in God. And so let's not forget that. I underlined that here in my Bible just so that I wouldn't forget that, that I won't let my mind stray from the facts that it's even, it's through Jesus, it's through him that I believe in the first place. I didn't initiate this. We didn't initiate this, you know. God, it's through him and for our own sake. He did it for us and he saved us. And then he paid the price and he paid the price for us in order that he would. And so, as I already read, having purified your souls by, by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. Man, like, when I, when I read this, it, Peter was kind of hard-hitting. He seems pretty hard-hitting that first couple of verses, you know. He reminds us, put your hope in Christ. Fight your sin. Be holy. And then fear God. Be afraid of not being holy. Be afraid of not being a people who put your hope there. Oh, but guys, don't forget, love each other. Man, how good? How good is that? I, I got to stop right here for a moment and really thank you all. I, I am really new here to Fairdale, you know, and you people have taken me in and you have shown me the love of Christ like I didn't expect, like I didn't know. You see, I, I grew up in a church in Alabama and I, I loved it. I really did. I loved it. And those people knew me really well. But it's something so beautiful and so special to go to a place that you have not known, that you've never been to, and have the people of God come and wrap you in their arms and say, hey, we're your family too. So aside over, thank you, though. I, you have been so good to me. And so, but anyway, I, I, I keep reading and say, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Church, continue doing this. You've done this to, to me so well. And as we heard Jake already say, we heard someone mention that we had a lot of visitors this morning, you know? Let's love them. Let's reach out the same way you reached out to me. Just extend a hand, say, hi, I'm Tyson. You know, I'm new here too, but I would love to get to know you. I would love to encourage you in the gospel. Let's continue doing that. And let's continue loving one another, those who aren't new. Those of us who have like those of you who have known each other for years and years and years, continue loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. And why? Like, why are we supposed to do that? Is it since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, imperishable? Again, Peter reminds us, why are you supposed to love each other in this way? Because that the price that was bought for you was huge, it, and it never runs out. The amount of love that you can keep giving to people that that all of you can give to me and I can give to you and we can give to one another, it, it's imperishable the, because God himself paid the unending, absolutely unending price for our sins and all of them are covered. And so now because of all that, let's love each other and let's do it in a way in which people look at, it, people look at us and go, well, they are different because how, how, how are we even how are the people outside of this church even to know that we're different? And because we love each other, right? Do we not? Do we act that way? And he says, for, starting in verse um, 24, it says, for all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers and the flower fades, falls, excuse me. But the word of the Lord, it remains forever. This is from Isaiah 40. You read this and you hear this, you hear about our flesh, and we all know, we all know that 
our flesh, our bodies, our human side, our sin, we all know it's fading, and we all know that it falls and it will go eventually. But here it reminds us that the word of God is forever. And this passage, you know, it's supposed to, it's meant to comfort us. Isaiah 40, uh, if I turn there really briefly, I'm just going to read the first verse of it here for you. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. And her welfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from all her sins. And I'm going to skip down now to uh, where our passage is. It says, the grass withers and flower fades. And when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass and the grass wither and flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. This passage here in Isaiah 40 is meant to comfort us. Why? Because we have this word that stands forever. And the promises that are here, the promises that if we set our hope on Jesus, it never goes away. If we continue to set our hope on Jesus, if we continue to love one another, we can believe that we can do that. Why? Because the Bible tells us we can, and it tells us that it's never going to change, and it's never going to fade away. Sure, our bodies will. Sure, that even, I will say, just like our flesh, like as those of you who believe, your sin begins to fade. You know, we'll never be perfect here, but as we continue to be holy, as we press after holiness, let that flesh fade away and, and trust in the word of God. Trust in the word of God. And it says, now this is the good news that is preached to you. And it, it, this word is good news, isn't it? It is good news that the word of God stands forever and that we can trust and put our hope in Christ. It is really good news. But just here at the end, I'd like, I'd like to say a warning, though. Uh, I already said it once, but where's your hope? Everyone, where's your hope? Are it, where do you find that? Are you trusting in the future? Are you trusting in an idea of yourself that you think you're going to be in 10 years? Are you trusting the idea of, are you trusting in yourself saying, man, I've, I've been going to church now forever, you know, and I've never missed a Sunday in 20 years. Or are you trusting, am I trusting in a seminary degree? Am I trusting in a, a diploma? Or are we trusting in a college degree? What are, whatever it may be, Trust in Christ, because that will never fade. Because if that's not your hope, let me tell you, whatever you're trusting in, that didn't buy, that doesn't cost enough to cover the price of your sin. So hope in Jesus, because Jesus, who is God, came to this world and he lived like us and he experienced what we experienced. He suffered and he hurt and he was sad and he was excited the same way we were. But ultimately, Ultimately, Christ, who had never sinned, God, who had never sinned on this, in all of history, he died for us. And then he rose again, and he tells us now, if you believe in me, if you would just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he is raised from the dead, you will be saved. And so I urge you to put your hope in that, because that's enough. That's enough to cover that cost that we've built up. So, church, that is the good news for you. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you again. Thank you so much right now uh, for, the, for your word, Lord. Thank you for, that you have given us this, this great and beautiful hope. God, I pray that we will be trusting in that. God, that I, 
that we won't let all these a million other things distract us, God, that we won't get bogged down by the daily minutiae and the, even the tragedies of our lives, God. I pray that we will not allow those things to distract us from our hope. I pray that we will look to you for our hope. Don't let the pride of our hearts find our hope in anything else. So, Lord, I thank you again for this church family, this encouraging, this loving church. God, thank you so much for your love, for your son. God, and we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.